The Interchange is sponsored by Schneider Electric. Now you can control your own energy future by reaping the reliability, resilience, and sustainability benefits of a microgrid with no upfront capital needed. Learn more about energy as a service, the new funding model making more microgrids possible from Schneider Electric. Go to se.com slash us slash microgrid or just follow the link in the show notes. We're also sponsored by NextTracker. NextTracker has more than 30 gigawatts of resilient and intelligent solar tracking systems across six continents. Optimize your solar power plant with TrueCapture Advanced Control software, which optimizes performance, increases energy yields, and reduces costs for developers. That's NextTracker, and you can find them at nexttracker.com. Green Tech Media Podcast. This is The Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media. I'm Stephen Lacey, a contributing editor with GTM. Hello, hello. This week, consolidation and cooperation in the distributed energy market. Just as federal regulators in the U.S. are making batteries, solar systems, electric cars, and generators more valuable in wholesale markets, we're seeing a new wave of activity. Wood McKenzie predicts that U.S. distributed energy resource capacity is going to reach 390 gigawatts by 2025. It's a whole range of resources, and a lot of companies are getting in on the action. Amazon is jumping deeper into the smart home game, wanting to control a lot of the devices in our homes that could become a resource. Generac, one of the top generator companies in the U.S., just made another acquisition to help it manage batteries and pumps and motors and possibly clean energy resources, increasingly more batteries. And third, Calibrant. That's a new company being formed by industrial multinational Siemens and Macquarie Capital, part of the Australian financial services giant. Calibrant will offer businesses and industry uh, services for you know on-site renewable and clean energy resources. And with me to talk about all this news, what it all means, how it's all wrapped together, is my co-host, Shale Khan. He is Managing Director at Energy Impact Partners. How are you, Shale? Hello, Stephen. I'm doing great. How are you? Good. What do you do to keep yourself occupied these days at home? First of all, I want to ask you a question. It feels like we've got such severe COVID fatigue that everyone's out living their normal lives. And Dr. Anthony Fauci the other day said, hey, all, I think we're going to have to hunker down uh, for the winter. And I was like, I've been hunkering down since March. So I'm wondering, have you, do you have COVID fatigue and what are you doing to keep yourself busy these days? I was not suffering. I mean, I'm fortunate to be in California where the weather has been pretty good this this whole time with the exception of, you know, the past month when there've been wildfires and that really sent me into a spiral. I had been doing great and had no COVID fatigue to speak of until I got stuck inside my house because the air quality was so bad for a while. But I've suffered from it to some degree recently. I don't know. I don't have a great solution. I mean, I try to get outside and exercise. We escaped for uh, one week to Lake Tahoe. We're going to escape another week uh, in a couple of weeks. But, you know, oh, you know, the other thing I did <laughs> the other day, let me make a content recommendation okay. to you and all of our listeners. Okay. Um, go, I think it's on Amazon Prime. Go watch Chicken People. It's a documentary. Did you ever see um, Best in Show? Oh, yes, definitely. Okay, so it's real life best in show, but with people who raise show chickens. And it's just (laughs) delightful. Okay, I'm there. Your recommendation is enough for me. So let's get into the stories. And we'll start with Amazon. Alexa, of course, has a phone app. And you can just say, Alexa, I'm leaving. And it might 
turn stuff off. If you're leaving for a long time, it might shut off your water heater. And now when you download the phone app, any devices you have connected will report how much energy they're drawing. And Amazon is really trying to get into this home energy reporting game, trying to make energy use transparent in the house for consumers. Um, There's a lot of history wrapped up in this. But it's interesting that Amazon is now making this move. So let's talk a little bit about it. A big step, a little step. What is this, Shale? Uh, Well, to be clear, it's not yet true if you have an Alexa that it'll automatically show you the energy usage of all your devices. But I think that is where Amazon appears to want to end up. So basically, this announcement that Amazon made last week was aimed at Uh, companies that have devices that are Alexa enabled. So it's not aimed at customers quite yet. What they're saying to you, if you have a smart connected water heater or a thermostat or smart lights or whatever, they're saying now you can, through an API integration with Alexa, you can do two things. The first is you can get that device's energy consumption information displayed on the Alexa app. So this is Amazon trying to say, we want to be the central hub for where homeowners and residents uh, can visualize their energy consumption. So this is just seeing it. And then the second thing that they're saying is this new thing they're calling Alexa hunches. And that is basically Amazon wants to be the one to be able to try to control devices to make them intelligent on an energy basis. So in the same way that smart thermostats try to learn your behaviors and then automatically dial themselves up and down accordingly, Amazon is saying, well, we can do that for a whole host of other devices based on your behaviors in the home. Right. So there's two layers. Um, we, we've heard other companies, big tech giants do this. Uh, Apple's HomeKit comes to mind. Apple has developed an API that developers can uh, build on top of and you can control your ceiling fans, your LED bulbs using Apple's protocol. And there have been some interesting products, but nothing earth shattering. So can Amazon do anything differently here? Why are they deciding to do this now? I mean, I think the distinction between what Apple has tried to do with HomeKit and even what Amazon has done through Alexa already, like the controlling your devices in your home is core to the smart home, you know, central station. Uh, The energy component of it is what is a little bit new here. And so Amazon is making a bet that they can utilize their ecosystem that they've built up of Alexa-enabled devices to become both the central hub of visualization and monitoring of energy consumption, which we should talk about the value of that. And second, the home, I think ultimately more importantly, the home of control. If Amazon is the central hub of controlling all those devices, and then that becomes the place through which you can, for example, interface with your electric rate or with wholesale markets per your point before, then that puts Amazon in the driver's seat for utilizing these resources as distributed energy resources. The other thing, by the way, that I think often is unrecognized, we see this. So there's there are alternative ways to do this, by the way. We have a portfolio company, Sense, which has been on Mike uh, from Sense, the CEO, has been on the podcast before. You know, they deliver similar visibility without needing to plug in individual devices because they take data off of the smart meter and then disaggregate it. There's other companies that do that as well. What you find when you deliver that kind of data, like device level energy consumption into the home or into the hands of, of customers, um, is that, you know, notoriously people don't think that much about energy and it's true. They don't think about that, 
that much about energy, but um, energy is a proxy for utilization of a resource. And so you actually get really clear visibility into what's going on in your home if you're looking at the energy consumption. So you can see like, is my garage door open? How long was my son playing Xbox last night? Like all these kinds of things are, are visible through energy consumption. So I don't know how Amazon is gonna do it, but in some ways, energy is a it can be a Trojan horse for just real-time visibility into the home. Oh, I have so much to say about this. Let's take Amazon's play first, and then I want to talk a little bit about Sense because I have experience with Sense. Um, and I think it speaks to my opinion on like where this market is headed or how consumers think about energy in the home. So first of all, it totally makes sense that Amazon would want developers to integrate with Alexa, make their products interact with consumers through Alexa. That all makes perfect sense. Uh, and it makes sense that you could probably shave off some energy use in the home by making those devices smarter, by allowing them to learn your behaviors, allowing you to remotely control them. All of that is what consumers generally want, and consumers use those products. But I don't understand this play of putting an energy monitor in the home and showing consumers, you know, using Alexa to actually show consumers on this screen, like, this is how much you're using. And the reason I say that is because there have been a lot of companies that have tried this. Microsoft tried it. Tendril, uh, which is now Uplight, famously tried this. And CEO Adrian Tuck has been very open about how, how problematic it was. They call these kitchen drawer devices. People get it. They love it for a little bit, and then they stick it in the kitchen drawer, and they don't really think about it. And for me, this gets back to Sense. I think Sense is a fantastic product. It worked so well. I loved the app. But even someone like me who cares a lot about energy in the home, I started using it, and then I totally forgot about it because I was like, okay, I know what's going on in my home. Uh, I could set alerts. I could occasionally see if I, if energy use was spiking or if something was on. But I basically forgot about it after a few months. And I suspect that that's what happens with a lot of consumers. I think it does happen with some people, but there is the utilization of things like Sense is surprisingly high, even well after installation. So I think more people than you might be surprised by how many people discover that that kind of visibility, again, not just because of the kilowatt hour component of it, but because of what it tells you about what's going on inside your house at any given time. I think more people than you would realize want that information regularly. The other thing, by the way, is there's like a whole host of additional value you can gain out of that type of information over time. So think like predictive maintenance on uh, equipment in your home or on your appliances and things like that. You can pick up um, the types of patterns in energy consumption that tell you that like your fridge is going to die before too long. And so there's all these like additional value streams. But, but you know, I, I do think that like as a standalone value proposition, just visibility into energy in the home only has so much value. And that in, in Amazon's case is why it makes it kind of interesting that they're, you know, starting to starting to dip their toe in the control waters as well. We've read this book before, but there is certainly a new chapter. And that chapter is all about 
the integration of distributed resources. And long term, I think that energy savings in the home, consumer changes, those are minimal. You shave a few percent um, of aggregate energy use. It's interesting, but not meaningful when it comes to decarbonization. But if you can use those controls to actually control your distributed energy system to show you energy pricing on the grid so you can make better choices as a consumer as it relates to like discharging your battery or charging your battery, charging your electric vehicle. I think that's all super interesting, yet untested, but certainly the next frontier. Yeah, I think the interesting thing is going to be Amazon is offering to do this for you, the device OEM. And certainly in the case of most of the devices that are going to be the large energy consumers in the home and that are the most controllable, I'm not sure that the device OEMs want to cede that control to Amazon. This is why, for example, smart thermostats, right? The smart thermostats have their own built-in controls and they have their own hunches, so to speak. And they don't necessarily want to give that up to Amazon. So there's going to be an interesting little battle for power, I think, there, where certainly the larger OEMs are, are... going to be pretty reticent to hand over control of their of their devices and ultimately monetization opportunities if the, if they come to exist via grid services um, over to Amazon. So this might be one of those situations where like Amazon is just trying to exert its market power and it's unclear whether they're going to succeed. Well, coming up, let's talk about some harder tech. We'll talk about generators and we'll talk about CNI energy management. First, let's talk about our sponsors real quick. We're brought to you by Schneider Electric, the leader of digital transformation in energy management and automation. Schneider is pioneering the development of modular and scalable microgrids that can island themselves and operate autonomously from the grid. Microgrids are not a single technology, but rather a combination of proven technologies that can meet the needs of divergent regions, small or large. Find out more about Schneider's microgrid work through the show notes. We've got a link right there, and you can find out about the hundreds of microgrids that they have developed. We're also brought to you by NextTracker, the world's leading solar tracking solutions company. NextTracker works with customers to advance the connected power plant of the future with smart trackers and the True Capture Advanced Control software, which optimizes performance, increases energy yields, and reduces costs for developers. NextTracker has more than 30 gigawatts of resilient and intelligent systems installed, delivered, or under fulfillment in hundreds of projects across six continents. Find out about NextTracker's trackers and their smart power plants at nexttracker.com. Okay, let's go to Generac and Embala. Generac, like it sounds, has been really big in generators. They have long been one of the biggest generator makers in the U.S., one of the bigger ones in the world. But they've been branching out into clean backup power as well. They've made some interesting acquisitions in batteries and in battery controls. And now Embala, uh, a company that has a distributed energy resource management platform. We'll talk about what that means exactly. According to Wood McKenzie, that platform manages roughly 600 megawatts of loads in several different countries so they can serve as grid assets. So what does Generac want with this company, Shale? That is a good question. And I think it it makes Generac, this plus the other recent moves that Generac has made, I think it makes them one of the most interesting companies in the sort of distributed energy resource world. As you said, Generac's core business is selling backup generators for reliability and resiliency purposes. And historically, those have been predominantly diesel or propane based. 
And then, you know, along comes this little nascent residential energy storage market um, with companies like Tesla starting to sell power walls and then Sunrun starting to sell their bright box. And, you know, there was always some question about, well, you know, should Generac get into that business? So they did. They bought Pika Energy, which was a small manufacturer of a novel residential battery solution. They also bought a company called Nurio, which you mentioned before. They uh, have a home smart home energy management platform. So then Generac starts selling batteries alongside their generators, and you know they they fast become one of the larger. Um, retailers of, of residential batteries in the country. But this move, acquiring Inbala, is kind of a different, it's a different beast. So just to be a little bit more specific about what Inbala does, Inbala is, as you said, in this category of the acronym is DERMS. And basically what they do is they go to a utility and the utility says, uh, look, I want to run a program where I'm going to exert some control over a bunch of distributed energy resources. Oftentimes it's thermostats, but it could also be batteries, could also be other things. And I want to control those a little bit in order to lower the cost to customers of the energy procurement I would have to do otherwise or to shave peak load. And I need somebody to manage all those resources. I need somebody to be able to control and optimize thousands of small devices across my territory based on just a simple signal that I send them. And that's Inbala. Inbala is one of like three or four companies that are sort of leaders in that market. Autogrid, which um, in full transparency is another one of our portfolio companies. Energy Hub, Inbala, smaller company called Virtual Peaker. There are just a few of them. So what's interesting about Inbala is, uh, from a Generac perspective, is that you know their core business is orchestrating and controlling distributed resources on behalf of a utility or a grid operator. Generac historically has not sold anything to the utility or the grid operator. So this gets them into a new game. And it sort of implies, if you think about what it means, it implies they intend to take all these distributed energy resources that they are deploying, probably predominantly the batteries, but I suppose in some cases the generators as well, and start to operate them uh, in the in the electricity market in a way that they haven't before. It puts them squarely in the camp of like what Sunrun is trying to do. We've talked about before all these grid services contracts. So it makes Generac, um, I think, really intriguing. Uh, it's it's Imbala, not Imbala. Come on, man. Is it? Yeah, I've heard CEO Bud Voss yell at people about that. Oh, man. I've been saying it wrong for... I've, he scolds them because it's like balance. I've, balance, like imbalance, <laughs> Imbala. I've known Bud for so long. Oh, he's going <laughs> to listen to this and kill me i'm sorry he probably rolls his eyes yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's okay (laughs) look uh this is clearly an interesting acquisition that generac made and there's no doubt that they want to get into the cleaner stuff and they want to use batteries and potential batteries paired with storage but i guess my worry is that they use this platform to more efficiently deploy propane and diesel generators during grid events and I don't think we know yet how they would use Imbala's technology, but it's very possible that they still remain a fossil fuel generator dominant company, and this is just a better way for them to run those generators. I'm skeptical of that. I mean, I, I'm not, I, you know, Generac is going to keep selling generators. There's no question about that. That's still the bulk of their business, and I don't see that going away anytime soon. But specifically on the on the Imbala acquisition, uh, you know, I don't think you see a lot of utilities asking for 
virtual power plants made up of diesel generators. It's just not what they're looking for. And so what this platform offers you is the ability to orchestrate and control predominantly clean energy resources or load, which is, you know, I guess not clean and not, not clean. Um, So I don't know. I, I just, I don't, I don't see some like Trojan horse here that is overly concerning. I think it's actually a positive sign from a climate change perspective because it implies that Generac, you know, having made these couple other acquisitions in this space thinks that the opportunity set is growing. Okay, we have to deviate here. Apparently, Bud Voss is getting tons of shout outs because I just remembered that I did an interview with him back in 2013, it might have been. And we're all talking about a fly today because of the fly that disrupted the vice presidential debate and i have this video clip of him i think it's on my instagram and it is bud voss catching a fly mid-interview as it was disrupting our interview and he caught it with his fingers it's a two-way power flow world you have power that's flowing in every different direction and no longer is the utility just controlling a set of oh you got it do you remember Obama did that in an interview once? Yeah, and Bud Voss did it too. Oh, man. So, uh, All right, yeah, well. That's that's why I remember Imbala. Now, now that you've told that story, we totally made up for me mispronouncing <laughs> this company's name. So are there other interesting moves in this space that, that signal that Generac is onto something? I mean, uh, GTM has covered this announcement and they pointed out Vertzilla's acquisition of Greensmith, uh, Agrico's acquisition of Unicos. Like, there's a lot of activity in this space related to distributed energy controls. Well, I think what those things all have in common is traditional generator companies getting into the battery game. Mm-hmm. Like every one of those, it relates to that, and so that's a positive sign, right? Like, you know, historically, there's been there's been a, a big market for resiliency, for grid resiliency, for a long time. You know, the residential backup generator market is like a two billion dollar a year market and has been for stable for a long time. Um, it says something that basically every one of the large players in that market has said, "I need to make a serious play. I need to make an acquisition in batteries." Um, implies that that's where the growth may be. Does the market grow because of these companies or are these companies seeing enough market growth for them to enter? I mean, what is the, which, what is feeding what? So what's interesting is, I think this was a big question in the early days of the residential battery market. It's still kind of a question. But, you know, as I said, the residential backup generation has been a relatively stable $2 billion a year market. Uh, and then along comes... Tesla and other folks like that selling the power walls and residential batteries. And the question was, are the people who are buying those batteries the same people who already have backup generation who are replacing it? Or are they people who would have bought backup generation instead of buying a battery? Or are they people who would have never bought backup generation and and just now are buying batteries for the first time? And I think it's some of all of those, but it's pretty clear that the residential battery customers, most of them did not have backup generation before. And so I think overall what's happening because residential batteries are taking off is that they are expanding the pie. And there's just, you know, it's it's hard to separate this from increasing need for resiliency. So this same time period is when we've had all the power shutoffs in California, for example. So it's hard to separate these things out. But, you know, what's clear is that there are, there's a bigger market for um, residential grid resiliency than there was in the past. 
All right, let's go to the third story. We're going to talk about Calibrant, this new joint venture from Macquarie and Siemens. It's going to go to big users. CNI customers offer solar storage microgrids. Um, we've heard this play out before. A number of companies have tried this or are currently doing it to uh, varied success, I'd say. Um, so Siemens, of course, knows how to build stuff. They know how to automate stuff. Macquarie knows how to finance stuff. And, you know, they, they needed money to create these project finance agreements, basically. So they're looking for replicable deals in CNI. Replicable deals. It doesn't stand out to me exactly what this market represents, but let's talk about that. So, Shale, what is Calibrant? Are they doing anything unique here? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's early days, so it's hard to tell if they're going to be doing anything unique. It's just the original announcement of the new JV. But they're going after these sort of energy-as-a-service, um, potentially multi-asset type deals for commercial and industrial customers. So it's all on-site stuff, but it could include energy efficiency and controls and who knows, EV charging and whatever else. Um, as you said, though, you know, it's it's interesting. This is a market that is ripe with historical failures. Uh, there have been lots of attempts. It's, it's sort of a tantalizing market, right? Because you've got these large commercial industrial customers that have complex needs when it comes to energy. And so what you, you know, it makes perfect sense to say, I want to come in and let me just take this all off your hands for you. I'll give you a single simplified contract. It's going to be an as a service type of agreement. And then I will do an assessment and determine all the things that you could do to save money. And, and then I'll do all of them for you. Um, and, you know, there have been attempts at that in the past. I would say the the three biggest ones, at least in my mind, were GE took a big stab at this with Current, which was like a- And they had to dismantle that. Which they dismantled. Uh, Edison, Southern California Edison's parent company, um, acquired a few companies and wrapped them together into Edison Energy. They were one um, of the first the movers. Attempt. Their first mover still exists, but certainly have not seen the kind of like massive success they expected. And then Enernoc was taking a stab at this Prior to the NL acquisition, you know, Adenoc had been a demand response provider, but then in the last couple of years in particular was trying to build up this suite of software services. None of those were wildly successful. There have been a few examples of success here. NG is a good example. They have they've done a few of these really big contracts. They have this one marquee, like two billion dollar contract with the uh, University of Ohio, I think it is, to do this. But there haven't been a lot of successes. So then the market kind of died down for a while. And there have been a few players sort of slowly, um, quietly building up books of business here. But in the past six months, it's actually heating up a lot. So the Macquarie Siemens JV is, I think, the most recent. But even just in the last week, there are two more. One is a company called Arturis, uh, which is actually founded by the original founder of Altenex, which was one of the companies acquired into Edison Energy. So if you want a weird circular thing there. Uh, they received a $600 million investment to go do energy as a service projects by our friend Jigger at Generate just last week. And then this week, um, Redaptive, which is another sort of energy efficiency CNI as a service company, raised a $150 million round. Um, our portfolio company, Spark Fund, is doing it. It's like, you know, there's something happening here. And adding to your list there, in August, Schneider Electric and Huck Capital teamed up. They formed Green Structure, which is going to develop modular energy-as-a-service microgrids. I know Schneider is a sponsor. This is not part of sponsor messaging, but it is one piece of activity among all these others that you mentioned. 
It's also not the only one that Schneider has done. And in fact, not even the only JV. They also have a, a joint venture with Carlisle, um, the big private equity firm called Alpha Structure, similar name, um, to finance these complex behind the meter microgrid type assets. Also, you know, if you want to add up another like big chunk of capital that has gone into the space, Scale Microgrids, another one of the companies that deploys microgrids, they raised $300 million from Warburg Pincus, which is another big private equity firm earlier this year. So, you know, capital is flowing into the complex commercial and industrial, either energy as a service or microgrid type deals. I think it has been challenging though across the board to find as you said before like replicable um, products. You know, you you everything every individual commercial customer is a unique snowflake and every deal is a unique snowflake and so that's been that's been the hardest part I think for the companies in the past. It'll be interesting to see whether any of these these new ones can solve that. Yeah, and I don't know the answer to that. I hope that someone who is part of one of these companies can give us a shout out on Twitter or something and explain this. But um, uh, this market is this the challenges still exist. I mean, the biggest one being that it's very hard to replicate these projects. And when you see these words on the page, modular scalable microgrids, I mean, like, what is that? really mean it, it it sounds great in theory but in practice it's a very different world and it really depends on utility structures it depends on the needs of the customer and they're very very different so i don't know i, I don't i don't know where this is going but it's another wave of activity and it will be very compelling to watch if someone does it differently because a lot of the big majors have have not done it well in the past that's right there is a lot of smart money going into it now, though, I mean, you add up all these different so Macquarie, Siemens, Carlisle, Schneider, Generate, Warburg like these are serious players. Um, not to say they can't be wrong, not to say they can't be wrong in mass, but uh, it's, a, it's a positive sign to me for this market. So, 390 gigawatts in the next five years of distributed resource capacity that's in the CNI market, that's in residential. Um, you know, that's all sorts of different kinds of microgrids. What do you make of this? I mean, does this wave of activity tell you something new about what's happening in distributed energy's expansion? Well, my colleague Samir has uh, said this expression that I've adopted as my own, but we'll give him credit for, which is that the world is going to be short flexibility for a while. And you know, what we're going to need increasingly on the grid is flexible resources. We are seeing it in California this year, we've had, you know, peak capacity shortages already, and we're going to retire a bunch of more thermal generation and add a bunch more electric vehicles to the grid. So if you believe that that is true, and then you add the additional layer of things like this FERC order, which basically mandates that the wholesale markets create rules to allow these distributed energy resources to play, and then you add this proliferation of the resources themselves, which is what you're describing, then it feels to me like, you know, I'm, I know enough to know that it's a thousand times more complicated than I'm making it out to be. But add all these, those things together, and I still fundamentally believe there's an enormous opportunity to deploy distributed energy resources and control them on behalf of a, a price signal or control signal sent by the grid to allow us to integrate more renewables. Like, that's... It's happening at small scale now, and it's going to keep happening at a larger and larger scale. Well, nothing to do now, but watch this expand and then 
Maybe in the meantime, go watch Chicken People. You should definitely watch Chicken People. I, pro- I <laughs> absolutely promise you, you're not going to regret watching Chicken People. Shio Khan is my co-host. Thanks, Shale. Thank you, Stephen. Ingrid Lobet is our editor. Sean Marquand mixes the show. Uh, we are a production of Postscript Audio and Green Tech Media. Follow us on Twitter. Give us a shout out there. If you have any follow-ups to what we talked about here, you know, I'm sure that there's people who are part of some of the companies that we talked about who may be able to shed a little bit of additional light. So, you know, spread the word. Give us a shout out. Um, we want to hear what you have to say. And also give us a rating and review while you're out there on the internet thinking about our show. Thanks a lot for joining us. We really, really appreciate you being here and we'll catch you next week. I'm Stephen Lacey. This is The Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media. <laughs>